0: welcome to the why behind the what. My name is Nathan Elbert, and as always, I am so glad you are listening to this podcast today. If you are new on this podcast journey with me, first off, welcome. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen. I really do appreciate it because I did hear on Amazon that they are out of podcast mics. So, you know, everyone has a podcast now. In the last few episodes, I've been interviewing musicians and pastors and meditation experts and professors and a bunch of good people, and I've been talking with them about how the ancient and the contemplative spirituality has impacted their lives. We've talked about chilling in a cabin, meditating as a way to end suffering, spiritual direction as a way to see how the divine is moving in one's life, centering prayer as a way to be present and relieve anxiety, and so much more. Today, I have the privilege of speaking with Colby Martin, and I was so excited about this conversation. I was almost giddy, but I played it cool, you know. I've been following Colby's work for some time, and I am very excited to introduce him to you, my listeners. He and I have a bunch of similarities and shared passions, so I'm quite amazed that I kept this interview just shorter than seven hours long, because I felt like I could have talked to him all day long. Colby is the author of the book Unclobber which was published the same year as my book, and I think it is a great resource. And his newest book is called The Shift, Surviving and Thriving After Moving from Conservative to Progressive Christianity, which I don't know about you, but this names my life experience, and I have a feeling it might name some of your experiences as well. I think it's an essential resource for you. Colby is also the co-pastor with his wife, Kate, of Sojourn Grace Collective in San Diego, California, as well as the co-host of the podcast, The Kate and Colby Show. You can learn all about this and more on his website, colbymartinonline.com. And be sure to check out the show notes for I have a bunch of resources and links and more info there. Before we get to the interview, if you've enjoyed this podcast or at the end you're like, huh, that was kind of good, it would mean the world to me if you could write a short review in iTunes and Apple Podcasts. If you're listening in the app, simply scroll down to the review section, give it some stars, write, I love this podcast, and then you can hit send. And I am happy, and you are a good human. And also, sharing it on social media is a great way to get the word out about this podcast as well, as well as a way to get Colby's work out there, which I think is really important. Finally, this podcast was written, recorded, and edited on Monacan land. With that, here's my interview with Colby Martin. Well, Kobe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. There it was. That was the intro. That was the welcome. I don't have an intro, really. It's just welcome. I'm like, wait for it. Pause. Nope. That's it.
1: Now go. Nope. That's it. (laughs)
0: Thanks, man. Keep it simple. Thanks, man. It's good to be here. I'm I'm glad you're here. been following your work for a while, Um, and it's it's fun to connect. So I'd love for you, I know a little bit about you, because I've Talked to you on social media and followed your work for a while But can you tell our listeners a little bit What you do professionally But then a little bit personally Who are you, who is Colby Martin Yeah, who is I am I am
1: still asking that question As you should Yeah, as I should um, There's a big part of me That wants to have that figured out at some point Like right now I feel Somewhat comfortable in the space of Oh, I'm still becoming, I'm still figuring it out I'm still grow like but there's also that part of me like, yeah, but at some point you're going to have like figured out who you are. Right. <laughs> uh, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I'm a I'm a perpetual work in progress. I'm a, a PWP. Uh, like right now, for instance, I am um, trying to figure out who am I apart from work and productivity mm. and achievement. I think I saw in your uh in your email signature that you identify as type three on the Enneagram, which is uh, precisely what I identify as well. And so being in this season, and I wonder if this is true for you, being in this season right now of self-isolation and quarantine, uh, my productivity has just plummeted, just tanked. And so for someone who, if you don't know this as a listener, type three on the Enneagram, oftentimes called the achiever or the performer, And so much of our sense of identity and self-worth and value is wrapped up and connected into what we create, what we produce, what we achieve in the world. And so at the end of the day, when I look back and I'm like, huh, I think I replied to two emails. I might have (laughs) designed one graphic that took me four hours for some unknown reason what else did I do today? So, I don't know, man. This has been a rough time. Uh, some And I just released a book, which I'm trying to not attach too much of my emotional well-being into its success, which is way easier said than done. Fortunately, I've gone through this at least once before. So, I have some muscle memory of how to release the outcome and not attach too much of my sense of worth. Or, like, So, I know the things that tell myself, but it's not always as easy to feel them okay yeah. so that's a little bit of who I am a work in progress and then uh, sort of just the biographical stuff is uh, I live in San Diego with my one wife and four sons we've been here for six, uh, six seven years Kate and I that's her name Kate and I started a church here six years ago Sojourn Grace Collective we call ourselves a progressive Christian church and uh, and yeah author of two books son of one father one mother uh I have a giant beard at the moment. Although I just trimmed like an inch of it cuz I kissed my wife the other day on the forehead and she like recoiled cuz I think some of my hair like went <laughs> into her face and she just gave me this look like what is this? I couldn't handle that Nathan. So I immediately went and trimmed like a, a full <laughs> inch, but it's still it's a it's a large. I was born and raised in Oregon, so I think it's the lumberjack blood in me. There you go. Um, there you go. Yeah, that's a little bit about me, I guess.
0: That's awesome. I want to highlight first your first book because that's how I got mm. originally connected with you. Um, I wrote a book on LGBTQ inclusion and my journey with that. Um, so I think we have a similar story there. But I'd love for you to just a summary of what is the book Unclobber that you wrote and what was your process in that? What, kind of what was your journey to writing that book?
1: First, I appreciate you calling it the proper name. So what's (laughs) here's what's fascinating to me, Nathan, is I wrote this book. uh, Like you said, it's called Unclobber, just sort of present tense, like it's a thing that's happening. Uh, But I, no exaggeration, I would say 75% of the time, if not 80% of the time, when people refer to the book, whether in print or in person, they always call it Unclobbered-ED. Like I I should have just named the book that because clearly that is what people think it is. and I, and 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 part of me is like, well, maybe it's just because that's the experience they had when they finished it. They felt like an unclobbering had taken place. Ergo, they are unclobbered. So that's just what's been in their brain. But anyway, uh, yes, title of the book is Unclobber. And that's a word that I uh, basically created as a way to articulate that I'm trying to undo some of the work. Undo some of the damage that has been done via the clobber passages, which raises the yeah. question, what's a clobber passage? Well, I'm glad you asked. Clobber passages, and I imagine a lot of your listeners probably know this already. Uh, that's the name that's been given to like about the six or seven Bible verses that have been historically used uh, by the church to justify discrimination against people who identify what we would now call LGBTQ+. plus. And uh, so so I set out a couple of years ago, this was after I'd gotten fired from a church when they discovered my theology had shifted to include uh, LGBTQ people into the family of God. I was fired for that theological position. And, you know, over the course of the next few months, I was interacting with a lot of people online trying to give account for my p- position. Well, what about this verse? Mm-hmm. As though I'd never... The, you know what I'm talking about, Nathan, where people are like, well, mm-hmm. haven't you read 1 Corinthians 6, 9? Like, oh, how could I... No, you're right. I, no, it's like, yes, I know about these verses. Uh, so I thought, instead of just trying to respond to these in one-off Facebook posts, how about I just assemble all of my research and data? Um, because I didn't come to this conclusion lightly. And this is what I talk about in the book. Because this was a...
0: yeah.
1: This was a uh, an effort for me to try and align in the book I talk about aligning my head and my heart. My head was firmly entrenched in the conservative Baptist evangelical tradition of my yep. uh, of my upbringing. So I had the theological position of yeah, homosexuality is a sin. But then my heart suddenly I became aware to the fact that my heart was incredibly uncomfortable with the way the church Handled their exclusion to deny membership or to deny people the ability to serve in the church And so that set me on a course of exploration to be like All right, I should probably if i'm going to get licensed into this institution I should probably really have a sense of why I believe what I believe And that's when I began to study the clobber passages And on the other end of that discovered wait a minute these don't say what I was told they were to say. These don't mm-hmm. teach. This doesn't justify excluding people simply based on their sexual orientation or gender identity. And so, anyway, uh, compiled all that research. Um, and so half of the book, Unclobber, uh, tells the tells the story of my shifting on that and getting fired and, and eventually starting a church here in San Diego. And then the other half addresses each of these clobber passages one at a time to try and situate them into their culture, into their time, into the context of the Bible and allow people to see if you give these a fair reading, there's just simply no way, there's no way we can continue to insist that the Bible is clear and that homosexuality is wrong, and that LGBTQ people are, cannot be Christian. So that's a bit of what Unclobber is about. Yeah,
0: I, I love it. Have you, well, I mean, we could spend our whole time talking right? about I know. that yeah, topic. Yeah, yeah. How was the reception of that book? I'm sure you got people embracing you, people loving the book, and then my guess is you had other people that, Thought uh, you were heretic? Sure. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, you know, yeah. The the heretic stuff that happened, that came. The false prophet. Uh, the the wolf in sheep's clothing. Um. But man, that stuff. I I learned pretty quickly that none of that had to do with me. It was it was all projection of their fears and insecurities. Um, so that stuff really. Uh, which didn't bother me all that much but it is mm-hmm. certainly when you start messing with beliefs that people have held on to that give them some sense of security and safety within their own sort of interior world when you start to mess with that that you know people get uncomfortable and and afraid so the attacks yeah. came that's fine uh but i the by and large over the last 4 years um the response at least the feedback that i get has has been uh overwhelmingly positive, that it has, uh, I'm brought to tears just weekly from the messages that I receive from people really all around the world of how, I don't know, of how they like finally can begin to see that they are a loved child of God, just as they are, Mm -hmm. or that finally they can continue to be in a relationship with their significant other without this weight of shame And guilt. Um, One of the most often refrains that I hear from individuals is how because of my, you know, identify as uh, straight male and I came to this particular topic without any real dog in the fight. So when I set set out to study the clobber passages and come to a conclusion, I didn't have any gay friends or family members Um, I wasn't necessarily trying to, um, you know, come to some sort of conclusion that would therefore then open up the path for me to accept people that I was close to. It was really, by and large, an academic pursuit of integrating my head and my heart. So my point is, one of the things that I hear most often from people is something along the lines of this. They say, you know, I've read all the books and the resources from uh, other people. people who identify as LGBTQ. And it's been super meaningful to know that I'm not alone. But they say there was something about the fact that this came from you, a straight man, Christian pastor, where they said you were able to unlock these for me in a way that previously were, I was always still sort of like, yeah, with other scholars or other writings. Yeah. But you're just sort of saying that to justify yourself, but there was really no necessarily subjective bias in my, so all I'm saying is I think the book has found a unique way into um into people's hearts and minds that allows them maybe to hear some of these ideas in a, in a, in a novel way that really has led to some some um, beautiful liberation yeah, which is just the most humbling thing in the world. I I really can't I take zero credit for it. It's just all grace. It's all grace. Like wow, I get to play a part in these people's lives. Unbelievable.
0: Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So I want to move to your second book because I think it's awesome. But your second book, I'm going to get the title correct, called The Shift. Not The Shifted. The
1: Shifted. <laughs> the Shifters.
0: Um, the Shifting. Yeah. The Shifting of The Shift. <laughs> but you talk about, or the subtitle is Surviving and Thriving After Moving from Conservative to Progressive Christianity, which mm-hmm. I think is a great title. And it's kind of named my life experience as wow. well. Um, growing up in a conservative household. And, and that my shift, I think, has been a gradual, right, a gradual shift to a more progressive stance. Um, But can you share a little bit about that book? Um, I have some other questions about it, but uh, share a little bit about that. And then what is your hope for those who read it?
1: Yeah, over the last, uh, really, six, seven years of of being in this, I'll say this line of work, this kind of full-time specifically full-time ministry in this progressive Christian space, I have interacted with, met with um hundreds, if at this point not thousands of people who have experienced a moving away from, or in some people's cases, a getting kicked out of their more conservative uh, Christian communities, churches, families. People who have, uh, for perhaps theological reasons, they've, they're like, "Oh, the clothes of conservative Christianity no longer fit me. My limbs are sticking out in weird a- angles. Uh, it's getting real itchy and scratchy in places." Uh, or for some people, the conservative communities they came from said, "We don't like your questions. We don't like your answers. We don't like your life choices. You're no longer part of us." And so there's so many people who have left, or are leaving, or have been kicked out of their conservative Christian roots. And yet they haven't entirely abandoned this longing deep inside of them for something more than just, I don't know, pizza and paychecks and atoms and molecules. They they, they sense there's still something underneath the thing. And they think it might even still be, there might be some anchor of truth to the tradition and heritage of Christianity, but they just, they no longer fit within this more conservative evangelical world from which they came. And so they're finding themselves on this journey toward, you know, in the book, I call it progressive Christianity. Look, I don't want to trip people up. If that term doesn't work for you, don't use it. It's just my way to try to name that there's a spectrum of uh, beliefs and there's a spectrum of ways of approaching the religious and the spiritual life, where you can get more conservative if you go to one end and you can get more open, progressive, inclusive uh, if you go towards the other end. And I'm just trying to name people who are moving in that direction. What I've discovered is there's not a lot of resources for how to survive, (laughs) really, that experience. So this isn't, Nathan, a, uh, a memoir of how I sort of lost and found my faith. There's plenty of those, and they're amazing. This just really isn't that. It's not so much about me. This isn't really a book about deconstruction. This isn't telling you how and why you should tear apart your entire faith, nor is it really a book about reconstruction. I'm not saying, well, now this is then, therefore, what you should believe. It's really about the the this, the this journey in between these spaces, this transition. And I'm, I'm trying to help... Uh, to the extent that I can anticipate for people, what are some of the most common obstacles that they might've already encountered? And if they haven't, then they will encounter it because this is what I noticed. And this is why I wrote the book As I noticed the number of stories that I've heard of people that have made the shift while they're all, you know, unique and particular to people's own experience. They also have so many of the same sorts of themes, hmm. the fear the confusion, uh, the sense of regret or, or bitterness or anger or resentment, the loneliness. Oh, my God, the loneliness. And so I'm like, well, if we're all sort of feeling the same sorts of things, then one, can, can we just name them? There's so much power in just naming it and normalize it. Be like, just tell people, if, you're, if this is really hard for you, if you're experiencing a lot of fear and confusion and frustration and loneliness, that's not a sign that you're doing it wrong. It's just, it just is that hard and lonely and confusing. So to normalize that process for people, and then also to try to anticipate some of the obstacles, some of the theological obstacles. So in the book, I have four chapters that I, that I try to hit on one of the most What I've noticed the most common theological obstacles. What do you do when the idea of God stops making sense? Uh, What do you do about your belief in Jesus? Uh, What about the Bible? Because it no longer seems to be what I always thought it was. And then uh, church. How do you, you know, I can't stand. People write me all the time. I can't stand church. Followed by, do you know one in my city that I could try? (laughs) Like, where can I find one still? And then I try to address some of the more common interpersonal interior challenges that people face. Like what do you do when you've shifted, but your family is still over here on the more conservative end and they have all this concern about you? Uh, or what do you do when you start to shift, but your, your internal world gets divided between your old self who fought really hard to get you where you are today. Thank you very much. And there in the inside of you is like freaking out that you're, you're exploring these new ideas and asking these new questions. Uh, Or what do you do when you start to get out into the more progressive world and you start experiencing friendly fire? (laughs) You know, what happens when your own fellow progressives start attacking you? That can be really disorienting. Uh, Yeah. So the shift, it's a survival guide for this process of becoming a more progressive Christian. I want to normalize that for people and then help them be able to navigate some of these common obstacles.
0: Yeah, that's great. One of my, or one of the early comments you make in the book, which I really like, uh, you say that faith or maybe the Christian belief, um, should be a dynamic evolving mm. rather than a static arriving. Yeah. And I love that sentence because I feel much of my faith was, a, I needed to get to a static arrival about certain beliefs, certain doctrines, certain practices. And yet what I've discovered um, kind of as you were saying about deconstructing um, that, as my just personhood has evolved, my faith has evolved, and that has allowed me an openness to discover the divine, rather than oh, now I know all these static things about the divine. Mm-hmm. No, like I'm constantly evolving mm-hmm. my understanding of the un, the un, the non-understandable, the, the vastness. Right. Mm. Um, so we have to evolve in that. So I, yeah. I love that statement. I, th- I mean, it was like at the end of a paragraph, I think maybe in chapter one or your intro, but I've been thinking about it for a while. So I'd love to hear for you what does Christianity look like when it becomes a dynamic evolving?
1: For me, in many ways, it's, it's, a, it's a continuation, it's an extension, it's a picking up of the baton of the uh of the of the great story being told in the Bible so the Bible itself if you'll if, if if you'll allow it uh so if we if we if we take it off of the shelf of the category of um this is a a, a, a Uh, a dictated sort of dictionary of the divine's decrees, right? This is the, the things, this is like fly on the wall account of the history of the world. Like if we take it off that shelf for a minute and just allow it to be in my mind, what it is, which amongst other things is a, a, a gorgeous capturing of a slice of humanity's efforts to try and understand themselves, each other and the divine. And what you see from from the Old Testament in through the New Testament, uh, what you see from the Old Testament into the New Testament is this evolution, this growth, this expansion, this progression, this progress of deeper and deeper understanding about what it means to be human, what it means to be alive, what it means to, I mean, in the Old Testament, the original, the oldest documents that we have of the ancient Jews, they they were uh, polytheistic, just like everybody else in that time was. So they just thought that their God, Yahweh, was the most high God. You shall have no other gods before me, which implies that there were other gods. It's just that Yahweh is the, the biggest and the best uh, and the most benevolent. Uh, and then you can track the evolution where suddenly they're like, well, maybe there maybe there's not a lot of gods. Maybe there's just a god. Uh, and you can get into the New Testament. What you see is you, there's just this constant sort of uh, evolving and expanding and deepening and widening and diversifying of understanding. So when you ask, what do I, you know, in terms of Christianity today, I'm like, no, I think we just keep that process going. And I get it, I get it how, on some hand, that's a little bit terrifying because what are we saying that it's just for uh, that we're just is the point just constant transformation like are we really just is progress always just going to be this carrot on a stick that we never ever catch up to and you know when I when I think about that I think well I don't know that that would be the worst thing first of all but also I don't know that we're in any any danger yet of having uh, uh I've gotten to a point where we've spent too much time in that I think we have and by we, I mean sort of the Western American Christian Protestant Evangelical machine, has spent so long trying to freeze and isolate and create this static arrival of what it means to be a human and what it means to be a Christian. Like, let's just uh, let's just experiment for a while with what it means to have faith. Be like. Like I almost said, like you said, like you said that I said, a dynamic evolving rather than (laughs) a static arriving. I mean, Mm. Nathan, Paul himself was like, I have not even yet arrived. Mm. And, and, you know, I want to be careful to not just sort of appropriate that for whatever purpose I want, but I do think Paul was trying to name something. And I think he was trying to name that, that the, that the journey and the transformation and the growth is all part of it. It all belongs. When I think about um, my own so this is, this is when I go back to like christianity if it if it wants to suggest that it's about just arriving at a particular theological point i I always get stuck with, well, at what point in my life did I have that the most right? Was I the most right when I was seventeen and on fire for Jesus and like talking to everybody and trying to evangelize every conversation? was that when I was most right? Was I most right when I was 22 and sort of graduating magna cum laude from my Bible college? Was I most right when I was in, like, at what point in my own life was I most right? Do I need to go backwards to when that was? Um, And then I expand that to the, the, the history of the church. At what point in the Christian church history of 2000 years did we have the most right answers at the most right time? If the game, Nathan, is about figuring it out Getting to a static spot of right belief, um, then it becomes re I don't know where you start, I don't know where you decide, or when you decide, we got the most right answers. Um, so for me, that's like, that's just not a game that I think we're supposed to be playing. Uh, so I, I find a lot more freedom and a lot more lightness and a lot more peace Viewing faith as a thing that I do, a a turning towards the light, an openness to the possibility that change is out there and that change is good rather than just sort of trying to get the right answers and lock it down.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's real good. So, one of the things that for me, I've experienced as I've even had my own shift, has really been a discovery of ancient and contemplative spiritual practices and spirituality rhythms. Um, and so for me that this shift has, I mean, I, I talk about on this season, I went through a pretty, um, hard season of burnout and just mm-hmm. feeling overwhelmed and it was discovering this evolving dynamic, evolving faith that really changed everything for me. So, um, discovering things like centering prayer or Lectio Divina or meditation, silence, solitude, journaling, they, these practices gave me this expansive and evolving faith, right? Yeah. It healed some of the wounds that I got from other Christians, right? When I maybe, as you shared with Unclobber, my book, people just, I mean, I got clobbered by some yeah. people. Um, And so some of these practices then really transformed my life and healed some of the past wounds. And so I'm, curious for you as you've gone through this shift, which I know is not easy, especially for conservative evangelicals, right? It's not an easy transition. Um, But have there been spiritual practices or rhythms that have helped you rekindle your faith or maintain your faith or healed some wounds as you shifted to a progressive Christianity?
1: You know, you, you named a couple of them already. So I think, uh, I think meditation, like mindfulness mm-hmm. meditation, can be extremely valuable for a lot of people who are coming out of uh, more conservative yeah. Christianity. Yeah. Um, and I think part of that is is because, again, part of part of what happens in the shift, either it catalyzes people's shift, or when once you're in the shift, you will eventually come to it, is an invitation to release your grip on your beliefs. It's this invitation to loosen up and, and say maybe the point, maybe the most, and this, (laughs) this is what I maintain that the most important thing to God is not what you believe. I do not think that the God who created the entire cosmos, that the most important thing to this God is what human beings think between their ears. So Uh, But we came out of a system in which that it was like we were told God cares the most about what you believe. And so then we we get wrapped all around the axle around we got to figure out the right beliefs and then lock it down with certainty. And that becomes that becomes equivalent to having a strong faith. And eventually when people begin to shift, they're invited to relax, invited to loosen their grip. They're invited to a place of maybe it's okay that I don't have all the answers. Maybe maybe that's okay. And so for me, my, mindfulness and meditation becomes extremely valuable to simply be. Because when you're just being, when you're just noticing your own breath, or when you're noticing your own thoughts, or when you're sort of just giving yourself a non-judgmental space to exist, what that begins to do is it, it leads you to a place of being okay with you for who you are, not you for what you believe. Because so many of us have been told, not only does God care most about what you think, but that your actual relational standing with the divine is dependent upon having the correct beliefs. But what if your place as a beloved child of God is completely Detached from what you think and you believe, and it's it merely is a, your your position as a love child of God is simply yours as an act of grace because you have breath in your lungs and blood in your veins, just being alive. So now, when you start to just. Be in your own body, be in your own skin, be in your own self. And this is what mindfulness and meditation does is it invites you to just notice and be aware of yourself. You can begin to love and accept yourself for who you are, not what you believe. So that's been huge for me. The second thing that I'll say is, and this is going to be counterintuitive for a lot of people, but actually continuing to be a part of a local church has been a massive um, tool for healing for not just my own self, but for many of the people that come to our church. And I think this is, and I, and I talk about this in the chapter on church. I think this is because in part, um, because the way that, for instance, uh, therapy works, when you go and you, you talk to a therapist, part of why that works for healing is because you're in a, a therapist's office which is ideally a safe and non-judgmental presence. And you can begin to, in that space, you can begin to recount and retell uh, past experiences that were traumatic and caused you pain. And in the safe environment of your therapist's office, you get reciprocated back to you, this unconditional love, this non-judgmental presence, so that your brain can begin to rewire new pathways that connect new emotional responses to those stories. And this is what begins to help heal the brain and heal the soul of the past. And so what I've found is that in the church, people actually, they have all sorts of wounds from past church for for like good reasons. Like they have been wounded by the church. They've been wounded by religious leaders. And and for a lot of people, it makes a lot of sense to just walk away or to take some time off completely. But then what I found is that when if people would be in a non-judgmental, safe environment in a church, they can actually begin to find the unique type of healing from those unique type of church wounds in a church setting. So for me, actually being a part of a church community again for the last six years in a, in a non-judgmental, safe, loving, compassionate way has actually been incredibly healing and restorative. To those very parts of my soul that were wounded from the church all those yeah. years ago, does
0: that yeah. make sense? Yeah, that's awesome. If people want to connect with you, whether it's your books, but then also your church—I mean, my guess is right now with COVID, you guys are doing online services. How can people get a hold of that? Connect with you as well as connect with Sojourners.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'm—I'm I'm pretty easy to find thanks to uh, having a. a first name that's somewhat unique. So if you just Google Colby Martin, you'll find my website. Uh, You can follow me, Twitter, Instagram at Colby Martin. It's all all out there. Easy to find both my books on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. And then our church is sojourngrace.com. So S-O-J-O-U-R-N grace.com. And yes, we are right now live streaming a virtual church service on Sunday mornings at eleven o'clock Pacific on Facebook and on YouTube, and then those recordings will live in perpetuity for on video form to watch afterwards or our podcast. And so, if people are looking for, um, you know, messages, church sermons, I, I hesitate sometimes using that word, uh, but but they're looking for like a progressive Christian way of of sort of navigating what it means to be human. Uh I would invite anyone to check us out at sojourngrace.com for sure.
0: Well, I want to thank you for your time. Yeah. And I really appreciate the work you're doing, the books you've written. Um I've got family in San Diego, so the next time I'm there. Oh, no kidding. I'm I'm going to hit up your church. Oh, would you sure. please? That'd be yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah, so I I really appreciate it. Um and I'm thankful for the hard and good work you're doing. So, yeah, I really appreciate it.
1: Well, thanks for your love, your kindness, and your support, Nathan.
0: And so, friends, as you continue to explore the shift, one that will ultimately lead you to a dynamic, evolving faith, may you have peace, may you have calm, and may you have happiness.